Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Now, oh, really, how's everybody doing today? Is that really how you're doing? All right. Well, today we're in the second week of a series called Famous Last Words, where we're looking at the very last words of Jesus Christ on the cross. And obviously, we're anticipating that big day a couple of weeks from now. We call Easter Resurrection Sunday, where we're going to celebrate Jesus being risen from the dead. But we're stopping here for a few weeks and looking at the words he said on the cross. Because the last words a person speaks before they die tend to be remembered by the people who hear them. Anybody have a memory of a last word that a loved one or a friend ever said to you? I do. Anybody got those that that you just never forget? About 10 years ago, my grandfather died and I was really close to him and he, he totally lost his memory by the end. But the last time I saw him, I called him Pap, and I said, Pap, I'll see you next time I come through town. And he said, well, I hope I remember you, son. And that's the last thing he ever said. I'll never forget those words. And you probably have words like that, too, that you just never forget that somebody said. Well, those are the types of words Jesus said on the cross. Imagine the scene, people around him, people observing the crucifixion and If they had been able to have an iPad or a notebook computer and sit there, they would have written down every word on that. But they remembered them, and they wrote them down, and they handed them down from generation to generation. And here we are 2,000 years later reading the words that Jesus said as he was dying. So we're going to examine those in depth and what they mean to us today. We're going to start off today with a little bit of audience participation. You've got a blank piece of paper that says notes in your program, or you can just do this in your head. It's pretty simple. It's just a number you have to remember. But we're going to evaluate ourselves. Don't you love evaluating yourself? We're going to give ourselves a score on the goodness scale from 1 to 100. 1 being like, uh, you know, Charles Manson, uh, Saddam Hussein, somebody evil, whoever. Somebody on the uh, 1, horrible. And 100, uh, while no person uh, is literally 100, they may think they are, we may think somebody's 100, like Mother Teresa, you know, gave her life for others and spent her whole life serving others in poverty. And, and okay, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, there's, a, there's a, almost a perfect score. And now I want you to just take a, a few seconds, I'm just going to be quiet, and you evaluate yourself. Give yourself a number from 1 to 100 on how good you are. Now, as you're thinking about a number, you are most likely comparing yourself to someone else. That's how we do it, right? We evaluate ourselves based on other people. Well, they're this and I'm not that, so I'm, be, I'm this good or, or I'm not this good. It, it re, that's how we usually do it. We look at someone else's ability or their talents or their achievement and we rate ourselves based on them. And we come up with whatever the ideal height or weight or amount of hair, or whatever. And we rate ourselves based on somebody else. Now, there's some, there's some issues when you do that. You know, you've probably heard of the guy that, uh, that invented Facebook, or at least says he invented Facebook. If you've seen the movie, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. There's a movie called Social Network that's all about Facebook. And, and the guy that invented it, he, his worth now is billions of dollars. He's the youngest billionaire ever. He's in his early 20s, and he has billions and billions and probably always will have. And if you evaluate your worth based on what this 23-year-old kid was able to accomplish, you feel like, wow, I'm like in my 40s looking up 50 maybe, and you're like, man. And you don't feel really good about yourself when you do that. 
See, when we compare ourselves to other people, a couple things happen. Either we think better about ourselves than we should, like, hey, I'm better than you because I don't do this, 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 and this, and, and you do that, and I don't, so that makes me better. Or you evaluate yourself and you feel worse about yourself than you should. So you can't win when you use a standard of someone else to rate yourself. If I rate myself against, let's say, you may not know this, but if I turned around, I would not have, you, there's no hair on the back of my head. You only see me from the front most of the time unless you catch me walking down there. There's no hair back there. And everybody's going to get behind me and try to see it, but there's none. If I, if I, if I compare myself to Joel, who's just up here leading the worship, um, he's got full head of hair. And if I compare myself to him, uh, I feel bad. It's like, man. Well, I can't, it's not fair. Why does he have it in the back and I don't? But if I compare myself to Rob Perry, the guy that was up here doing what's up, I'm like, hey, at least I don't look like Rob. <laughs> so it, you can't win. Either you have this inflated view of yourself or you're, you're beating yourself up. So you either feel better or worse about yourself when you compare yourself. So what's the comparison when I'm rating myself on the goodness scale? What's the standard? Jesus set a standard for, us, for all of us in the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, chapter 5, when he said the words, be perfect. There's the standard, be perfect. He says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So that's the standard we are supposed to live up to. There's some Bibles coming up and down the aisles right now. The story we're going to look at today is in the book of Luke, chapter 23, as we think about our standard of goodness and examine this last one of these last statements from Jesus. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The ushers will give you one. It's yours to keep or you can drop it on the table in the back on your way out. Follow along on the screen or you can also turn to the scriptures as I read them and we look at Jesus's last recorded words. In Luke 23, it says this, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So here's the scene in Luke 23. Jesus has been falsely accused. He's been convicted of something he didn't do, and he's being killed for it, being executed, public execution. But there are also other people who were slated to be executed that day, two criminals, on either side of him, and when they put up the crosses, that's where the whole three-cross thing comes from, Jesus in the middle, and these two criminals are on either side, and that's what the people would have witnessed that day who stood there and watched Jesus be crucified. They also watched two criminals be crucified, two really bad guys, guys that did something horrible in order to get the death penalty to be there. Just think of what people have to do today to get the death penalty. Some pretty bad stuff. I've been around people who, who were condemned to die. I mean, I've been in a prison. It was all voluntarily. I went there, you know, because I was asked to go take part of this prison ministry thing. And I, I went and I, I walked down one of those aisles, like you see on TV, where there's cells all around you and you're walking down this long thing. There were cells and then outside that there was a big chain link fence. But people were yelling stuff and screaming stuff at me. It was really scary. The group of us were going through there. And, and if they could have gotten out, they would have probably killed us. They were scary people. That's the kind of people who are hanging beside Jesus on the cross. Hardened criminals. So here's the perfect Jesus and these imperfect guys and all these people standing around. So not only are people getting to hear the last words of Jesus, 
they're getting to hear the last words of these criminals. And the criminals and Jesus, they know the words they're speaking are some of the last they're ever going to say. Now, if you knew that, would you not choose your words very carefully? If you knew these are the last things that will probably come out of my mouth, you want to be able to say some profound stuff, right? If, if, if you knew in 10 minutes it's over for you, you, you would start talking, wouldn't you? You want to say some stuff. Hey, I want people to remember this. I want, I want, I want my wife to know where all the stuff is so she can find all the things she needs to find when I'm not around. You would be saying some really important stuff. And, and here are these guys hanging by Jesus, and they're aware of that. And listen what one of them says. Criminal number one says this. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. So this criminal was yelling at Jesus. He was saying insulting things, whatever that is, you blankety blank, blank, blank. Go ahead and save yourself and save us too. So he's on his deathbed and he's thinking about one thing, this world. He's getting ready to leave it. It's obvious. He knows it. Everybody knows it. But he's thinking about here and now. Right now, Jesus, if you're what you say you are, save us. And then he threw some other insults in there too. Now, criminal number two had a very different perspective as he was approaching death. That's recorded right after that. It says, but the other criminal rebuked him, the previous criminal. He says, don't you fear God, he said. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong then he looked at Jesus and he said Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom so here's another criminal also on his deathbed but he's got a little different attitude as he's thinking about checking out of this life He's thinking about something else because somewhere in this episode, because he would have seen Jesus dragged through the streets, he would have watched him be nailed up just like he was, and he would have been there right beside of him, and he sees something different in Jesus, and obviously this hardened criminal has a heart that starts to soften as he watches Jesus and how he interacts. He would have heard Jesus say the words that he had just said right before this episode, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, this criminal had probably never seen someone being executed ask God to forgive the people who were unjustly executing him. So something in this criminal number two's heart and mind began to change, and he started to realize, hey, I'm checking out of this life. I don't have any control over that anymore, and here's this guy, Jesus, who's acting different than anybody ever had. And so he starts to connect that maybe Jesus has something to do with what comes after this life. Maybe Jesus has something to do with eternity. And he says to him, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, one criminal demanded, demanded Jesus to do something, demanded help. The other one just wanted mercy. One was thinking all about this world, and the other one was thinking all about the next. Now, which criminal do you want to be like? Because sooner or later, we're all going to be, you know, hopefully not being executed, but we're all going to be on our deathbed. Is that encouraging to think about? Go have lunch now. Enjoy your day. But we're all going to be there. We're all going to be where we're breathing our last breath. That's the way this body's designed to wear out. You can take care of it. Please do that. Make it last as long as possible. That's what I plan on doing. But sooner or later, it's going to wear out and you're going to breathe the last breath. And then what comes after that? See, that's what we try to do is encourage people to think more about the next world than this world. And one of these criminals had it right. He was thinking more about what came next than what's going on now. 
Because that will also help you cope with what's going on now. Think about it. You're going you're gonna to be dead a lot longer than you were alive. So why not live life preparing for death? Right? And that profound, I see people with pens. What is that? You want to be dead a lot longer than I'm alive? Yeah. So whatever's after this life is a lot longer than the however many decades we get on this planet. So here's this criminal. Jesus, remember me. And he hears Jesus say these words. I tell you the truth. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, this is really going to happen. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, to the casual reader, you're probably thinking, wait a minute, this guy's a criminal? On the goodness scale, this guy was a big, fat zero. He would not have, he couldn't even make it to a one. He's nothing. He's, he's done something that's causing his fellow citizens to nail him to a cross. He's, he's killed somebody, he's raped someone, he's done something horrible, and, and now Jesus is saying, today you get to be with me in paradise? This imperfect guy, this messed up guy? But see, if Jesus doesn't accept imperfect people, we're all in big trouble. Now, if you rated yourself a 100 on the scale, we can just have a moment and you can go, because this, you, know, you don't need to hear this, Right? Like I say all the time, if you're perfect, you found yourself in the wrong church because perfect people just don't, we, they don't work. We don't, I can't relate to a perfect person. Can you relate to a perfect person that never does anything wrong? I can't. We're not trying to reach perfect people. We want imperfect people. That's the kind of people Jesus came to seek and to save. And if imperfect people don't have a chance, then none of us have a chance. So we're as imperfect as this criminal hanging beside Jesus on the cross that Jesus said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And when Jesus said those words, the word paradise is, is not the same word as heaven. He could have said, you're going to go to heaven with me today. Because he had used the word heaven. The word heaven's all over the Bible. But he used a word that's only used three times in the New Testament. Three times. It's a Greek word. We, we, call it, we say paradise, the Greek word is paradisios. And that's the word Jesus chose to use. And the three times it's used in the New Testament, it's talking about where God is, God's dwelling, that's paradise, that's where he is. But, but the Greek word paradisos just means a, a garden or a park that's, that's enclosed, that's got a wall around it. And so Jesus is saying, today you will be with me in paradise, he uses kind of a special word to describe where this guy's going to be. It's, it's related to this Persian word that they would have understood that, that when, a, when a Persian king wanted to do a special honor to one of his subjects, he would ask them to go for a walk in his garden with them. He would give them access. They would be a friend of the king's garden, paradisios. So in a special way, the king, the Persian king, would ask somebody to go for a walk in his garden in a special way. Everybody standing around would have understood this, and, and this guy would have understood this. And Jesus says, I forgive you, but I want you to walk with me in a special way. That's why he used the word, not just heaven, the guy's going to heaven, but Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know you're chosen to walk with the king. A guy that would have rated himself a zero and everybody else would have rated him a zero gets to walk in a special way. And this crook moved from death row to getting to walk in a special way in Jesus' garden. How does that happen? How, how does somebody that's a death's door, evil person like that get to walk with the king in his garden? 
two, two ways, grace and mercy. That's the only way that he'll get, he got to walk with Jesus. The only way we'll get to is grace and mercy. You know what grace is? Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. People have actually asked me, how did you get Cinda to marry you? How in the world did that happen? And guys, you've probably had that happen to you too. You know, you happen to, you know, get your trophy wife. So they're like, how in the world did you ever get that to happen? Grace, that's all I know because it wasn't because of me. It wasn't because I was slick or cool. It was because of grace. Mercy, grace is when you get something you don't deserve. And mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. You've done something wrong. You deserve punishment, but you don't get it. A few months ago, I'm driving in my neighborhood. Woo, lights come up behind me. I'm like, oh, man. Checking my speed and everything. I realize, okay, I don't have my seatbelt on. So I'm real cool trying to, you know, <laughs> do that. And uh, so I, I did, actually. I did that. But when he got the car, he, he said, hey, you didn't have your seatbelt on when I saw you the first time. And I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, also your, your sticker's dead on your license plate. And the speed limit in this neighborhood is 25. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, really sorry, man. And, you know, I said, but I, here's what I didn't do. I didn't pull the pastor card. I didn't say, well, I'm a pastor on my way to church or the hospital or anything like that. I just took it. And so he goes back to his car. He comes back up, hands me my license, and I, you know, drive away. No ticket. I deserved one because I'd broken three laws right there. And he just let me go. That was mercy. Teenagers, us parents, we don't do to you what we want to do to you when you do something wrong. Or when, you, when, you, when you're like getting on our nerves so bad. We don't do what we want to do. Trust me, we don't. We give you mercy all the time. Parents of teenagers, do you know what I'm talking about? We give out so much mercy. Because what we want to do to you for what you're doing or the way you're acting, it might be illegal, I don't know. But we just, we don't do it. We give you mercy. That's what God, that's what Jesus was offering this guy on the cross. I'm going to give you something, paradise, you don't deserve. And I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. You deserve to rot in hell because of what you did. Jesus could have said that to the guy because that's what he deserved. But I'm going to give you mercy so you don't have to do that. Now, that's kind of hard for people in our culture to get. This guy's a zero, but Jesus made him at 100. How does that happen? Because in our culture, you work really hard and you're worth something. You, you have a special skill, and the, you're held up above everybody else because, hey, you can put a ball in a basket better than anybody else, so you are worth more money than somebody that can drive a, a nail into a board with a hammer. Both take skill, but we hold one skill up, and we think, well, if a person has a certain amount of smarts, then they get recognition, they get fame, they're more valued. Our culture says, because I have more skill or something, I'm more valuable. But it doesn't work that way with God. This man on the cross beside Jesus who got to walk with Jesus in a special way in paradise. How many tithe checks do you think the guy wrote? None. How many times did he volunteer? How many what's up cards do you think the guy filled out? Nothing. He, had, he did zero to deserve anything Jesus was giving him. He was zero. So how does that square with Jesus saying the standard in Matthew chapter 5, the standard is perfection. That's what I want from everyone is perfect. And really the word perfect is not the best way to translate what Jesus said there. The word complete probably means more to us in, in, our, in our language. 
So Jesus is not saying be without fault. He's saying be complete. And what makes you complete is to get your life with Jesus. So be complete as your heavenly father is complete. Now I can say, okay, I get it. I can't be perfect, but I can be complete through having a relationship with Christ. The Bible says that in Romans chapter 3. Because here's what this verse tells us. That I'm a zero, but Jesus makes me a 100. This guy on the cross, zero, Jesus made him a 100. Romans 3 says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. That means that even though I do things that make me less than a 100, because of what Jesus did, it makes me a 100. It makes me complete. Now, you may say, well, I don't feel like a 100. I don't feel like I have a complete life. But you can through God's grace and mercy. You can. And you say, well, but you don't know my life. You don't know the things I've messed up. And you don't know how goofed up I am. And you don't know how, what this person did to me or what I'm dealing with or how bad this relationship failed. And it couldn't be as bad as what the guy did hanging beside Jesus on the cross. And Jesus made him a 100. So what the guy on the cross had to comprehend in his last seconds of life is the sting that I feel from the punishment that I'm receiving is not as bad as it really is because of what's coming after this. Now, hopefully we've all got a long, long time to be on this earth. But definitely we're all going to have bad things happen in our lives. We're going to mess up. Somebody's going to do something bad to us. We're going to lose our job. We're going to mess up in relationships. Somebody's going to leave us. The kid's going to rebel. Somebody's going to hurt us. But when we understand this grace and mercy that comes from God, and that it's not just about this life. Because remember, one thief, he focused just on the here and now, this life. The other one was focused on what's next. And when we think about what's next, it takes the sting out of the things that happen to us in this life. So if you don't feel like 100, you can, you can, you can get there. Because it's not just about what happens in the here and now. It's about what happens later. You're going to be dead a lot longer than you're alive. So think about what comes after this life. Now, if you wait to the last second like this guy did, obviously God will still give you grace and mercy. But think of what that guy must have had to deal with in his life and the things he missed out on and did not contribute to the world because he didn't get it till the last breaths that ever came out of him. So start experiencing the grace and mercy of God right now. Now, if you've never taken that step into the family of God and said, I want to have this relationship with Jesus Christ, and that sounds kind of weird to you, and you don't know what that means, come and talk to me. Come talk to any of the pastors you see here on the stage, and we would love to guide you through that decision on how you can live life as a 100. And you can go to bed and get up every day knowing the words of Jesus saying, today you'll be with me in paradise. Knowing those words that can bring you peace today. Not when you breathe your last breath, but right now. You can deal with things today because you know what's coming later. You can deal with a busy schedule today because you know someday it won't be like that. You can have grace and mercy in the here and now. And that will affect your relationships, your finances, 
the things you struggle with in life, you can enjoy paradise now. You can, you can go for that walk in the garden with Jesus now. Right now in this life. See, his, we tend to think our lives need so much more stuff in them, like all these other things that, to make them full. But the reality is, Jesus' grace and mercy are enough to get us through anything. Getting something we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve, that, that'll get you through any difficulty in life. It's enough. If it can save a person who had lived a horrible life in the last seconds of their life by just him requesting it, what can that same grace and mercy do for your life? What can it do in the relationships in your life? So Jesus' words, today you'll be with me in paradise, are an invitation any of us who want to, to walk with him in a special way and enjoy the grace and mercy that he offers all of us. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to look at your words, the words that your son said while physically dying, God, may we all experience that grace and mercy that you make available to us. May we feel like that special person that gets to walk with the king. God, I pray that you let us feel that grace and mercy every day of our life. And Father, I pray for the people right now that, that need, need that in their relationships, need that in their life, need to feel that from you, need to extend that to other people. And I pray for that one person that's here today that's yet to step into the family of God, that they would get the courage to just come up and say, how do I do that? How do I do what that guy on the cross beside Jesus did? I pray this in Jesus' name.